Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on the payoff, we sit down with Wes Cunningham. Wes was a recording artist on the Warner Brothers label, starred in a major motion picture, but most importantly, he has got quite a few years of sobriety, and he had quite the journey in sobriety, too. Great visit with Wes, but first, Kevin Sousa. Stand by the ocean floor. So the, the artist on here um, that we came into, you know, that's my brother, Kevin. That's him singing. Yeah. No Other, otherwise, otherwise, it would be Wes Cunningham. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, I hadn't heard that before, but yeah, that was really cool, man. That's your brother. That's my brother, no Kevin. No way. Yeah, yeah. That's some rock. You know, you were recording uh, a recording artist on a major label, right? Right. Uh-huh. Feature film. You were the star of a feature film. <laughs> it's just true. You're the, but, but you're also... It's strangely true, yeah. And you're also sober. And I'm also sober, right? October of, of 06 is when you stopped. That's right. Yeah. And this is the last stuff for people who don't know. Wes and I know each other uh, pretty well. Yeah. But I don't, there's a lot of stuff about you I don't know. Like when the first time you got drunk. When was the the first time, (laughs) the first time you got drunk. This is fantastic. Yeah. The first time, if you remember the first time you got drunk. Yeah. Uh, First time uh, my friend Bill Blankenship's mom got a, a bottle of wine. She was a teacher. And she was able to, uh, and so, uh, you know, she went to bed. We were, I think we were sixth grade, seventh grade. We grabbed it and went to town. That was it. A lot of people say I got drunk and then I got, I threw up, but I couldn't wait to do it again. Like what was your feeling? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I've heard that too. I'm not that way. I, I didn't immediately go, Oh, this is it. You know, like I hear that a lot. And, um, that came later for me for initially, I mean, it was just fun. And, um, did it make I was you a, feel you know what, here's, the, here's the thing. I was a good kid. So I was really, I was responsible for my, I am the oldest of four. Um, I felt my parents sort of instilled in me, like I'm like sort of the, the third parent, you know, kind of thing. So I really felt compelled to, to put on a good example for the, for my siblings and to, you know, carry the weight a little bit. And I did, you know, I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I, 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 I had a great childhood. My parents are awesome people. Still, still really friends, still friends with them today. And uh, I'm still friends with my siblings. I mean, it, you know, that's the that's what's crazy about this thing, right? Is that I have no excuse. Like I have no excuse. Yeah. Well, do you think? Do you I've think, had everything. You know. Like, is there alcoholism in your family? There is. Uh, uh, no, there's really not. I mean, there's a yeah, there's a there's an uncle or aunt back there, but it's not it's not a big thing in my family. My, my wife's family, there is. Yeah. So my kids are screwed, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I started to get, you know, in high school, you start to use it more to get comfortable, to ease into situation. And then for me, like my whole thing with music, I mean, music goes, I always wanted to be uh, John Lennon or I wanted to have a band like his, like his band. And I, and so, um, and I read about all those guys are my heroes growing up. I mean, even if it's Hank Williams or Johnny Cash or any of those dudes, like, but you know, they, they were all kind of crazy, reckless people. 
with various substance abuses you know tendencies and um I don't know I think I kind of uh, romant romanticized that a lot did you did and you so when I started playing music I started drinking when I played and that just went hand in hand you know I mean that was just like here's the thing like I loved it once I started in, in uh, high school um I was just I was torn between being the responsible kid and the rock guy and I just I just was always on one side of that fence or the other. And one of them was the straight and narrow and the other one was the lifestyle I really wanted to do. And the thing is with drinking, I just like, one thing that I resonate with with other alcoholics is that once I started, I was just, you know, I was going. You know, you'd have to have a few beers before you got up on stage, you know. And then you'd have to have some after you played, you know, and all that stupid cliche stuff about, <laughs> you know. Being a rock star. Being a rock star, yeah. Um, I mean, dude, I get that. But, but I mean, I mean, but the problem was like I would, you know, stay up really late and then we'd have to get up in the morning and I'd feel terrible. And I, you know, what would fix that is a few, you know, a few drink, a few beers. And uh, so then it just became this whole like uh, lonely thing where I was hiding stuff all the time and um, always sort of felt never could quite get to where I wanted to get, you know, like feeling good about myself. And, and um, anyway. How did that make you feel when you had that moment when you noticed? Because I remember how I felt uh, like, oh, my gosh, like I'm drinking in the morning now mm -hmm. because I mean, I remember the first time I drank in the morning. It was a Sunday. Was, yeah. We were going uh, you know, we were going to see a villain of a basketball game. I was in high school and I ran down to the basement. I was out all night the night before and I drank a Coors Light and I was like, I like I discovered plutonium, you know, I was like, this is it, you know? Uh, but like, like yeah. this stuff does, it comes back around on you. Right. But with the moment when you're saying, Hey, now I gotta, I gotta have a couple of drinks. Like, do you remember that feeling? What that was like? Uh, that didn't happen until later. I always felt like I, I, um, lied to myself that I had some control over it, you know, and I would do, uh, I could do days off. I could do days off pretty easy uh, until I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, I think really, it was so, you know, drinking was just such a, an escape to part, just to have fun and, and for, you know, enjoy life. And it was so built in, even, even when, when I, when we, when I married my wife, we were both just good timers. We just loved to go out and have fun. And, um, and it just didn't, it just didn't register that this was not a sustainable kind of lifestyle, <laughs> but I do remember, yes, to answer your question, I mean, but it didn't happen until much later. I'd already moved, um. I mean, yeah, I was drinking a, a pitcher of beer before I'd get up on stage on play, and I thought that was probably probably bad. I probably shouldn't be doing that. But you're also playing music, so yeah. And that's I want to I want to backtrack a little bit. So yeah, let's backtrack. So you're in high school, you start to quote unquote use it, and then you start to achieve success with music. How does that go? Um, you know, I hate, one thing I hear a lot in the rooms is the idea of like being exceptional, like rules don't apply, like being other than. And I definitely felt that, and I don't know if that was ego or if that's just the way I was built, but I definitely felt rules didn't apply to me. And so when I was in high school and we, uh, you know, me and my buddies, we'd work up these songs, we'd make them up and then we'd go, well, we got to play them somewhere. And we'd go downtown and uh, we'd convince the, uh, well, actually what we'd do is we'd call the bars and pretend like we were the, our own managers and we'd set up the gigs, you know, and just BS our way through it. And then we'd show, we were high school, we'd show up and they wouldn't, uh, we'd, the gig was already booked. And so we'd go play, but none of our friends could get in because they were all too young. It was one of those things. It was like, 
it sort of solidified the idea that this accept like we were cooler than you know different and drinking has a lot to do with that but also just you know being uh, being outside of the mainstream was was sort of in, intoxicating you know just almost like an outlaw yeah exactly yeah i mean right yeah. it's not it wasn't but anyway so high school was high school and then i went to college and then i went to nashville and and then i started making some demos in nashville and really that's the route it took um, then I got signed out of Los Angeles. Uh, you go to college, you, you, you grew up in Fort Worth or, or uh, Dallas. Yeah, I grew up in Dallas, yeah. And then you go to college at Baylor. I, yes. Uh-huh. So you go to college at Baylor and then you graduate Baylor, you go to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And then, you now the move to Nashville. Man, I know a little bit about you, right? <laughs> so the move, nice. I've been paying attention, man. So the move to Nashville, that's when you make the leap uh, as far as a professional musician. Yeah, I never really had a plan. I just... Thought I was going to Nashville. Nashville was less, uh, uh, you know, less scary than than LA or, or New York. So I, yeah, went to Nashville. Had a couple of friends there. So you go there. You're you're you're, you're playing gigs. You're, you're making demo tapes. I go there. I've just got a big attitude. Um, there's a lot of Christian music in Nashville, and I um, uh, I grew up in the church, and and I've always sort of held um, Christian art and Christian music, especially at arm's length. And, um, and so I think there was further me distinguishing myself from that because there's a big sort of what I saw as sort of a cringy music scene in Nashville that was, and also like just the fact that there were this idea of rich Christian rock stars that just didn't resonate. You know, there's several acquaintances that I had that were doing quite well writing, you know, praise choruses. And, uh, and I remember just thinking that it was not for me. And, um, so... Again, with the rebel thing, I wanted to distinguish myself in Nashville. But yeah, Nashville is country and Christian, but there was still a little bit of the rock scene, and that's what I plugged into. Now, are you playing, are you playing clubs at night? Playing clubs at night. Um, it's not as romantic as it would seem, you know. I mean, really, this was in the late 90s, and this was just as Napster was starting to crack open. So the old world was sort of, uh, the old world of you sign an artist and you work with them for two or three records and Tom Petty and the first record doesn't do well, but you stick with your artist and you develop a sound and that whole ideology was, you know, uh, stepping aside because all of a sudden music's free and it's all about the hit and all that stuff. So um, anyway, so that's that, that was the culture that I stepped into um, with music and, and I, you know, here's an interesting story. I don't know if this, I was thinking about this the other day. I, when I was, um, in Nashville, I'd worked right writing music and I'd worked really hard to get attention. Um, and finally I did. And, and, the and my, my record, my demo got shopped around and I got to go different New York and LA and people wanted to put, put it on their, you know, on their label it was very, all very heady, and I remember at the time I, I wanted to go to this. I always told myself, if I sign this, sign a record deal, I'm going to go to this one bar. That was kind of and forgotten about this until recently. And it was in February, and I was like, <laughs> "This is in Nashville." This is in Nashville. And the day came, and uh, you know, we did the deal, and I actually signed it in Nashville, um, sending faxes back and forth. And then that afternoon, is I, you know, I did it right, so. No one knew about me or anything, but I'd signed this big record deal, and they were going to put my record. What label? Out. Warner Brothers. Okay. Out of Burbank, LA. 
So I went to this bar I, and um, it was just me and a friend. And then the friend left and it was just, then it was just me. <laughs> and then it got dark and it was like sleeting. And, and I was still in the bar and, uh, and I just got wasted. And I remember th- it was, I remember that, ho- uh, that hollow feeling was there and it shouldn't have been there. And I remember thinking this should not, this shouldn't be this way. I should be really happy. And I, and I was instead not. You know, it's just a weird, it's just a weird memory. But on, on a night that should be one of the most celebrated in your life. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and honestly, knowing you now, that's a night where you would probably yeah. have a fulfilling evening. Right. Uh, yeah. And, totally. and, and do something with your wife or your kids or connect with people that you love and you know. But now you're sitting at a bar by yourself. <laughs> and, and then what happens? You stay in Nashville and make music? No. Uh, let's see what happens. Um, yeah. I got I went on the road, played with some cool bands, um, got to open up. And, and, um, what bands? Well, I got to play some with Wilco. I, I opened for Chris Isaac on a, like a two month tour. So I got to hang out with him, um, and his crew, which are really neat, you know, super cool dudes. Um, who else? I, you know, just lots of back in the, you just do all these summer tours. And so you'd be playing with Los Lobos or, you know, I don't know, just cool, mm-hmm. interesting, all alternative rock type of people. And, um, so yeah, that was really fun. I, I and at that uh, point, where's the drinking at? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, at that point, the drinking is, I mean, I feel like it's still manageable. I, I feel like here's the thing, like I'll go and make an ass of myself and just because I have such an ego, I, I would just be mortified about it and I'd hold off for a day or two and then I go do it again. I've just sort of had this cycle of, you know, calling up people like, dude, what I do, or I'm sorry, or, you know, I'm just, I don't it's so funny, you know, Pete, we're sitting in here talking about this stuff. It's like, this is, I don't want to talk about any of this stuff. Like, I, I want to talk about how my life is now. Like, yeah. I, but I know we have to talk. I know we, we have to talk go about through. this. Yeah, we, we, we got to go through it. We have know? to go through this. Yeah, we, we, we got we, we to gotta get through it. Okay, and we're, right. we're, we're, we're all, Let's get through it. <laughs> Let's get to it. We're okay, here's a good- you guys have no idea how many times I've tried to get this dude to open up about this <laughs> stuff. And it's like we've sat at Lolita's trying to have tacos and Wes does not want to go there. But I've always been curious about this. And I think, you know, the idea of this podcast, too, is to, you know, I want people that are listening yeah. to be able to hear you and relate to your pain yeah. and then hear where you are today. I mean, one of the things about you, I can remember in, God, it was like two years ago, we, we were hanging out and- uh like often you do, and just hang in there and take this compliment. You, right. you, you have like a light coming off you. And, and I remember sitting with you somewhere and being like, this dude's on fire. And he doesn't want to talk about what I, as a materialistic person, <laughs> would see at this, as this glorious time in his life. And you're like, I want to talk about now. And I'm like, this is amazing. He wants to talk about his kids or his wife or find out what's going on with me. Yeah. Real stuff. Not the BS. And that's kind of, that's kind of in a nutshell what this whole podcast is about. It's about people understanding that there's a, there's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Okay. Yes, I get it. And I, I, not that I want to sit here and talk about drunk logs, which is not the point either, Uh but relating to the, the despair, the utter aloneness, the uh, duplicity of constantly having to hide um, the abject fear of where is this going? Um, I was at a bar and someone said, 
you know, I was uh, going to see another guy play. This guy's a big fan of this guy. And I came up to him and I just drunk off my slobbering all over him, you know. And my buddy said, man, you know what, Wes, you may have a drinking problem. This was, you know, years before I walked into AA. And I was just so taken aback by that. I was like, what? What? Uh, this is this is what I do. Is who I am. This is, you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, it was just surprised the crap out of me. But then when I look back and I say, when I here's a good story. When I got signed, actually, uh, there was a record label in New York that wanted to sign me. And they, they flew me out there. And they were, they were introducing me to this new person that was going to be this big, big hit person. And her name was Britney Spears. And that's like, oh, whatever, you know, it's like, I, and uh, she wasn't a star or anything, but it was like, that was their new rollout. And even then I had attitude. About, I mean, so, but I was there and I was meeting all these fancy this jive records or jive records. Yeah. Like, wow, look at you. Yeah. I'm meeting all these fancy people. It's at the Waldorf Astoria. Um, uh, Goo Goo. I've been sitting at the table with Goo Goo dolls and, you know, back then they were. Yeah, this popular. is like 1998, 1999. <laughs> this is a big of, deal. Yeah. Top, as big as you get. Right? Yeah, yeah. And of course, dude, flash forward like three hours later and I'm on the steps um, in the, basically in the uh, lobby of the Waldorf with a guitar and I'm singing, you know, John Lennon songs. And I have this, and that's, and the next memory I have is waking up in a, um, in a New York City uh, hotel in the just in the stairwell in my underwear um, and not and having no idea how I got there where my room was um, and I was expected back in Texas for a family reunion like you know later that day did you get there dude I, I got there <laughs> and I don't know how so I just went around looking for like you know I, I, I found my way out of the anyway it's a whole other story but yes yeah. I found my room and and, uh, you know, called the car. So clearly. So, yeah, this is not, st I'm not going. <laughs> this is not a tenable situation. No, even if, even if you're in the music industry. That's right. And, and I know you well enough to know you, again, we don't have to go through all of it, but like, you know, the, the alcoholism from what I've understood didn't, isn't what took you out of music. Right. Correct. Necessarily. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that I want to get to so that lack I lack of interest in my music. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on who you ask. Uh -huh. uh, you have this one story, and before we get to to you getting sober, and I and I, that I love, that's kind of like grandiose, and it's not who you are, but you go to record your second album. Oh, that's oh yeah. Um, so yeah, so the first album, I, I signed a two album deal, and the second one, uh, they gave me all this money per the arrangement, and said go make this record, and I and of course I'm thinking I'm the next, you know, whatever. Uh, I hire a producer. And we decide to go record strings over in London at this renowned studio. What are strings, by the way? Strings, uh, you for know, orchestra. Know. Okay. Uh, we did an right. arrangement for several of my songs. Uh -huh. And um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm going for this massive sound. Like I'm really. You're going for it. I'm going for it. And it's the whole, it's the whole stupid cliche is like, we don't hear hits, you know, but I'm like, I'm an artist and all that. And I don't really regret the music I made. But interestingly, I, so I went, I went over there to record strings and there's this orchestra in this beautiful studio waiting to record music that I wrote and uh, such an amazing experience. The night before we were going to go in to record with um, this orchestra, of course I got really drunk and um, 
because the, the beer apparently has a lot more alcohol in it over there. I don't, whatever. So Hard lesson to learn. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically stay out all night. And then um, when I get up in the morning, I'm, I'm feeling so terrible uh, that I, uh, I actually kind of, are we talking about this? I mean, how, yeah. how many details do, do we yeah, whatever you Whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, so I didn't show up. Again, it's you the blew night. It, so you didn't I show blew up. It. I blew it. I did show up, but I, I had a mess in my pants. Uh, okay, Pete? I had a mess in my pants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no wonder you were asking about editing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm in the studio, and then I go to the bathroom, and I don't... And it, okay, well, we can tell. We edit that. Edit yeah, that yeah. Out. Uh, we get the idea. So the idea, yeah. The same thing happened in Nashville, by the way, when I was, there was going to be this giant, it was this big gig and I was meant to show up and wow everybody because this was like a showcase. This was my coming out. And dude, I got that afternoon, I went and got some beers and had my girlfriend and we went to the park and we fell asleep and I, and I came home and I, I just passed out and I got a call from my producer friend and he was like, dude, where are you? Everybody's waiting. And uh, and I just scrambled and showed up. And by that time, people had left. I mean, it, that's the kind of thing. Whenever there was a big thing coming, for whatever reason, I would um, implode. I, I would implode. I would implode. I would totally. I don't know. I don't know what that was. What was the moment when you decided, okay, I'm 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 getting sober. Yeah. You know, this isn't about white lights or you know. Yeah. What, what what was there a moment when you said, I've got to change? What was the jumping off point for you? Right. Or the turning point. This is a good, it's a good question because I feel like there were several. And, and what's interesting is that my initial reaction was not alcohol is not the problem. My, my reaction was I'm not being a responsible person or I need to get a job or I need to. Uh, like initially, I was like, I got to go marry that girl. When I marry that girl, she's going to straighten out how I feel inside and that will take care of the alcoholism and whatever. You know, that will take care of my drinking part. And said, I'm going to fly right, you know, so we did that. And, and I still found myself after a few months going at it hard and she was making comments and, and so then it was like, all right, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to move back to Texas and I'm going to take this, you know, I'm going to serve people and I'm going to do good works and I'm, (laughs) I'm going to like throw in with this nonprofit and I'm going to eat some humble pie Yeah, and make a difference, a real difference. I'm going to make a difference, but here's, it was on my, but I'm still going to drink, but I'm still going to drink. It was on my terms, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to pull myself out of this deal. So I kept trying to pull myself out of the deal with with religion, with with my wife, with um, doing good. De- you know, all these things couldn't uh, it couldn't stop. I, I just couldn't didn't stop to the point where, um, you know, I'm actually uh, leading, trying to do some kind of good with my music. And so I, I agreed to lead some, some hymns or some, you know, some music, Christian music stuff, which I never did before. But I'm like, well, this is, this is the life that I needed. You know, I felt like I needed to do this. And uh, so, and so I would even drink before I would do that, you know, just to, it's so it all, so the answer to your question, what I really knew, um, when I had my moment of clarity, which for me was undeniable, and it had to be messy, and it had to be disgusting, and it, it had to be humiliating, and that's what that's what it took for me. It was a great, um, it was a great leveling of my ego, and and 
And, uh, and I could give you the details, but basically my, my wife was out of town and I got drunk and she came home and she found me uh, incapacitated. And as, I, as she, I saw the reaction of her face as she walked in the door and she's standing there and she's holding, uh, we, I, we had just had our second kid. And so she's holding one of them on one hand and the other one she's got him you know, on the hip and she's standing there sort of like silhouetted in the window. And I'm on the couch, barely cognizant. And all of a sudden it was like, holy shit, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it all. And it's because I can't get on. It's because of, alcohol, you know, it's because of my, this. Yeah. I, I have a problem. When you're tr- I've heard a guy say, when you're truly an alcoholic, you're the last to know. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what it was. And it's like, wherever you go, the, the, not to throw all the cliches up, but wherever you go, there you are. It can be religion. It can be yoga. It can be for me. I always thought, well, I'm going to run. I'm a mm-hmm. runner. Yeah. I, would, I would go out and I would have a thousand beers, right? And then the next morning, if I could get up and go running, then it was okay. And really, that that, that helped me because it would give me those those endorphins. Totally. Right? That would like, okay. It would justify it, too. Would totally justify it. Yeah. Oh, and, and I just earned, uh, you know, I can go drink again. That's right. And so, I mean, I was in that vicious cycle for years. I remember a buddy of mine, my buddy Bart. I remember hearing this secondhand that Bart said, you know, that guy thinks he can go for a run every day and everything's fine. And it's not. Uh, and, you know, that's when, for me, the, the walls were totally closing in. So you you have this this moment, this turning point moment. First of all, you always hear you never pull up to, to, to recovery or, or meetings in a limo. People, and that's the beautiful thing, too, about being sober is you, you, you go to a meeting, you get around other people who are sober, sober alcoholics, yeah. and uh, there's an energy there. Yeah. Uh, even you and I talking right now, two right. sober dudes, there's an energy in the room right. that like, you know, if you and I were just coming off a bender and coming into our first meeting, we crawl in here, there'd be no energy. No, no. We'd just be sitting here like staring at each other, thinking about the next drink. Or I'd be thinking about, look at this dope. Look at this dope. <laughs> yeah, what's he, talk, what's he talking about? You know, and you hear that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so how do you walk into that first meeting, Wes Cunningham, what's it, in October of 2006? Yeah. Okay, so first of all, I'm just absolutely bewildered. My wife says, you need to call my dad. And I knew that I needed to call her dad. Her dad is, was this, is this asshole uh, drunk who had at the time 20 years of sobriety and who I did not uh, like. I didn't enjoy his company. So he's an asshole to you. He's an asshole to me. Okay. Uh, I'm defensive on behalf of my wife because I think he's an asshole to her. I just don't, I've never liked him. Uh, but I respect him and I respect him, his sobriety. I'd noticed through the years that, um, you know, he, he was a, he was a big Alcoholics Anonymous guy. Um, so he went to a lot of meetings, he had a lot of 20, like I said, 20 years of sobriety and just the way that he carried himself, uh, with this sort of irreverent, um, devil may care attitude, but, but also perfectly cool with himself. Like, like really liked himself. <laughs> That's part of the reason why I, I liked him and didn't like him. Right. But he had a magnetism about him and he was free. I mean, he just inside, he was free and I could tell, and it was different from like a, you know, like a religious free it, somehow the dude was just, there were no rules. here. Wearing life like a loose shirt. That's exactly right. So I called him. He lives in Houston. Uh, hey, Bobby, I think I need to talk to you about alcohol stuff, you know. And he starts laughing because he'd seen me through the years. He knew 
he'd seen the way that I drank, you know. So he was kind of waiting for this call, I think. And he, uh, he actually, which this is the miracle part, right? This is the spooky part. He was actually in Waco when I called. He's never in Waco. He was passing through, happened to be there right when I called. He said, I'll be by in 15 minutes. And my wife and I, neither of us knew he was in town. He came by and picked me up. And uh, I went to my first meeting. And here's, here's the thing that I remember is not so much that, um, oh, thank goodness. Uh, you know, I, I was still bewildered and very confused. But that just that little bit of letting go of I don't know what to do. That was the freeing part for me. You know, everything else would come later and I'd go to I'd go to the meetings and I'd, you know, I'd sit there and bitch and moan for months. But I kept going. But initially I was just and so then and I will say this, though, and this was this particular grace from higher power, I guess. I don't know, because when I walked into that meeting, there were a bunch of people who did not look like me. And um, and I did feel a peace. I felt a just a kind of it's okay. That feeling right there is so profound. It's okay. Um, that that's why I kept coming, even though I didn't understand all the stuff, and maybe even didn't consider myself alcoholic at the time. I just was. I just knew that when I walked in there, uh, I I was okay. So yeah, Bobby took me to my first meeting, and um, that moment where you go from being separate right. and comparing yourself out to becoming a part of is magical. I mean, I fought that for so long. You see that guy, um, the guy Bob Forrest, who is a, I think he's a, he's a sobriety counselor, he's a therapist. He, yeah. he used to tour with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and then hmm. Bob got sober. Did he write a book? Yes, uh -huh. uh, Bob, I think it's Bob and the Monster. I think, don't quote me. Um, so he says, an addict right before he gets sober or before he dies is literally like has this horrible life that he's clinging to, right? And he will not let anybody get near. He's like, no, get away from me. It's like, dude, you don't have a job. You're homeless. You're broke. And, 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 and you're fighting people off that are trying to give you help. And that's what, the, and, that, and then all of a sudden, you make that, that decision, right? That willingness, of whether it's to walk into a meeting or to talk to another alcoholic. And I can hear you breathe. It's just like, whew. for me, it was like, I went, to, I went to rehab. I was like, it's over. Dude. So it's, it's over. And, and I started to become a part of and stop comparing myself out. And it's a major, I mean, it's something that you'd have to, you know, you'd have to experience. You could call it spiritual. Some people call it God, whatever you choose to call it. Mm -hmm. um, it's bigger than me. Mm -hmm. you, you start going to meetings and then, and, and, and what changes? Like, how does that whole situation develop? Mm -hmm. I took it. This is what's amazing. Just what you said. Um, I took it literally. Like I went in there. And I think the first, maybe the, the next meeting I went in, I found someone and I just, I said, I need to talk to you. I need to unload. And I, I don't know if it was a step or what, but I just needed to, you know. Uh, he mentions that Wes is talking about the 12 steps. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Needed, to, I needed to talk yeah. to somebody. Yeah. And, and, and I did that. Okay. Immediate connection immediate valid i mean just immediate it's that what we talked about like yes being a part of uh was such a deep breathing relief and but here's the thing i want to mention too we kind of glossed over this but <clears throat> i thought i drank because i didn't have any more status i'd lost my record deal 
I, I had, um, I, I moved to this crappy town called Waco. Um, I was trying to work with this nonprofit thing, helping people that wasn't working. I was drinking more than ever working, you know, helping people quote unquote. I, I mean, I was a basket case and, and, and then I basically got fired. I didn't get fired, but you know, maybe you should go West kind of thing. So I didn't have a job. <laughs> uh, and I have a wife with two kids who's severely disappointed with me, always wanted me to be some kind of spiritual leader. And I, I'm anything but, you know, she married this fun guy and all of a sudden, where is he? I mean, just, and I had such self-loathing. Um, and that, and that of course is the cycle with drinking too. You drink to feel better, you know, and then you feel worse and the whole thing. So I wanted just to say that a big part of my motive, a big part of my uh, self-loathing had to do with my financial insecurity. And, um, and the fact that I was not able to make, I'd failed at being a rock star and I'd failed at uh, providing for my family and now I can't stop drinking. And then, uh, so th there was a level of despair that I, um, but when I came into AA, or I'm sorry, when I started, when I started going to meetings, slowly I began to listen to what dudes were saying about, you know, dumb little cliches, like one day at a time. Um, and, uh, and I was, I felt started to feel a part of, and I made a couple of friends and I, you know, I, and I kept, I was the guy in the, in the meeting that would kept saying, yeah, I'm glad this works for you, but you know, what about me? This is not, what about me? Um, at some point I made a decision and it was an active decision to trust my higher power with my financial future and um, set drinking aside for a minute. Like that was a huge point in my life because for the next two years, I would, um, I would get jobs doing odd jobs, you know, and they were, and they were on the surface, not humiliating jobs, but just, you know, Hey man, uh, I know this guy, he's a painter. He needs somebody to go scrape the house and prep it before, before they paint it. And, um, and it was, here's what's so crazy is that that job what paid eight hour, eight bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour was such a, I had this attitude of, of, um, I was so grateful for that work and I'd show up and I'd do the job and I'd listen to, you know, whatever. And occasionally I'd be like, wait a minute, I used to play on stage for all these people and now I'm doing, that would crop up. But, but then I would be like, no, I, um, every night I'd go to bed thinking I was, that was great. I don't know where I'm going to work tomorrow and someone would call or I'd find something. So what I learned in those first couple of years of sobriety, just by showing up and by being open, um, was that, um, I felt like it was, I felt like it was God telling me that I, you know what, dude, you don't have to worry about, I can take care of this. I got this. You just keep, you just keep showing up and the rest will take care of itself. And that was just a really literal way for me to understand that concept because I had to. And it got to the point where it was really fun at the end of the couple of years. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but something great will happen. Dude. I had that attitude. Like it's going to, it's going to work out. It's going to be great too. You never know. I, Lived in a recovery house. I had nothing. Yeah. I just, I worked in the NBA. Um, yeah, I crash and burn. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a halfway house working at a KFC. I love the KFC. <laughs> awesome. I didn't, I'll tell you what. 
I didn't, and then I did. Yeah. And that's the point. I, I, I loved going to work there. And, 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 and what you're sharing to me and with, with what I experienced was, first of all, I knew it didn't define who I was. Mm-hmm. I knew it was an esteemable thing. I, 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 you know, for those people who are just listening, I got sober. You go to live in a recovery house after you go to rehab. I decided, I, I, I didn't decide. I said I would. I'm in a recovery house. They're about to, they're, you can't stay if you don't have a job. And I ended up working at a Kentucky Fried Chicken and for about three months. And it's an esteemable act mm-hmm. where, like you just said, you build confidence. Mm-hmm. Like every day doing those odd jobs that you were talking about gives you a confidence in yourself. And now all of a sudden you're moving and grooving and you become an attractive person as I experienced it. And people are now asking you to do things that you, oh, by the way, want to do. And that's the magic of this whole program and this process and and being sober is like, you become that magnetic, charismatic person. Can I say one one last thing? You can say whatever you want. So you're exactly right. And I'm banking all of this, these two years, I'm, I'm just putting it in the bank in terms of I'm, this is just my my truth here, but like God is trustworthy. Like I can trust God with my fi- with my family. With every, I can trust uh, my concept of God, which, by the way, is different than it was uh, before I came in. Yeah. So you know, I mean, it's, it'll probably be different in two years. It, my concept of God, I feel like, changes a lot. But what I do know, without doubt, is that I, I'm not running the show. And when I can, you know, that's what those two years taught me was that, dude. When you can just loosen your grip a little bit and be present and just do esteemable acts, it takes care of itself. And, and, and that is, yeah. and that's for some people, God. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of we go to a meeting uh, where a woman says, you know, you, you come in uh, at your first meeting and you hear people talk about God, you could, you could run right out of the room. Right. So this isn't so much about God. It's about it being bigger than you. I agree. And if you grew up with a with God in your life, then that's it's much easier for you to connect. For me, it was. I didn't have a terrible experience with God. Some people do, whatever. Um, but to acknowledge it's bigger than you. Now, this shows that it's bigger than us. And, and you don't, I don't even know if I've told you this, but this is a fact. I remember I'm living in Louisiana. I'm sober probably five or six years. I don't know. Um, and I go to the movies all the time because I have nothing to do. I live in Louisiana. I have no friends. And uh, I live with my dog, but I'm loving life. You didn't go noodling or... No, gigging uh, crawfish. Or... I mean, I did. I, I, you know, a crawfish are a pain in the ass because they take too long. <laughs> I want to eat no it right away. Yeah, but I go to the movies, and dude, the movie that you made. This is probably. Oh yeah. Was was it? I saw a trailer for your movie. Did you really? Yeah, I, I remember it so well. Maybe I wasn't living in Louisiana at the time. Maybe I was living in, in outside of Philadelphia, and uh, I remember seeing a trailer for your movie. And I remember the last part of the trailer, folks, you can see it on YouTube. The movie is called Seronia, is when you're sitting with the kid uh, and you're playing music and, the, and you're talking about the Beatles, who was the best Beatle, right? right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't forget that. And, and the trailer is unbelievable. Yeah. And the movie's good too. It really is. So tell me about this experience because as I see it, and I could be totally wrong, you get sober, we're talking about esteemable acts, you're kind of on fire, you're living in Waco, and you have the mm-hmm. chutzpah, yeah. I guess you would say, to chase this idea right. of of making a major motion picture. Right. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't plan it that way. But what's cool is that I, <clears throat> once, um, once I stopped drinking, I, I kind of did wonder what 
music was going to be in my life. Like, what's the role of music? And like I said, like I started to, you know, do some worship leading stuff, but that's not necessarily who I, who I am either. I like to create and write music. That's really my passion is, is what I love to do. And I thought, I, can't, I don't know if I'm going to do this without booze. You know, the things that you love to do when you're drinking, whether it's sex or, or music or any of that stuff. Talking to people. <laughs> you feel like you can't do it people, without drinking. You, feel like you can't do it. Right, yeah. exactly. So uh, so that was another gift of this thing. I, I almost had to say, well, maybe I won't. I mean, like I had to, that's how serious I took sobriety initially is that I said, well, maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll never uh, play music again. Like I really had to surrender that. Um, and of course, just like you said, you start living life, you start, uh, you know, you, you develop some friendship, you start to feel pretty good about yourself because, you know, you're not carrying around all this guilt anymore. And, and you have, and, and, and you're helping people. This is a big part of it is being a, a part of other people's lives, right? Who are, who are in sobriety. Um, but then I started making music and uh, writing songs again. It was really fun. And I had zero ambition behind it. I just was, it was just fun to write. I had, still had some recording equipment and sent it to a buddy. Sending, well, you know me. <laughs> if you're a friend of mine, I'll send you. Which is a gift. I, I'll send yeah. you songs that I write. I, I, I just, it's just, so I kept sending my buddy all these different songs I was writing. And um, he was a director in, in LA. He's, he did a lot of music video stuff. And uh, anyway, the long story short is he actually moved to Waco and we started working together on the screenplay uh, along with a th another friend. Um, and we just, we had so much fun, zero expectations, like trying to write a story about a guy. This is kind of far-fetched. You just have to use your imagination. It's, it's about a guy who used to be in the music industry, who moved to a small Texas town <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who... Um, who tried to live a happy, meaningful life um, without being somebody, you know? And that's what the movie is kind of trying to be, him dealing with um, just being another bozo on the bus, you know, just being a dude. Anyway, we rate, we, so I had all this music that I'd been writing and we put it all in this big pot and we said, how can we make a movie using this music and we just sort of went from there. We, we wrote out a screenplay, um, not thinking it would go anywhere. And then miraculously, it got financed. And the next thing I know, there's crews from, from L.A. in Waco filming. And then we go to L.A. and film some. And it, took, it was about a three-week, four-week shoot. Uh, all this was new to me. I'd never been in, but it was, you know. And you're the star of the movie. And, oh, yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm the, Jeremy Sisto is in the movie with you. Yeah. Right, um, Tony Hale. Tony Hale. So Tony Hale as from arrested Veep. Uh, from Veep and Arrested <laughs> Development. Um, yes. Jeremy Sisto is in a, a, a lot of big movies. Look them up if you don't know who they are. But it's it's easier to relate and identify with yeah. uh, just kind of how massive this project was. Yeah. And what is is that kind of heady? You're sober. You're going through that. Where's what's that like? That's, That's quite a, a ride. It is quite a ride. And what it did, it it was not necessarily healthy for me. I honestly. To be, to be truthful, it, it sort of unearthed a lot of uh, ambition and, um, you know, I was happy scraping houses. I really, I was really happy. And then, of course, I say scraping houses. I got into more construction stuff, and I really enjoyed that. 
and this came along and it was fun and everything, but this it's kind of stopped being fun when we started getting all this attention and when really I started to uh, get ambitious again. And it was sort of a, it was a tough couple of months there. Did you feel like your ego kind of came back into the whole I picture? I did. I remember, here's, and here's how I remember, there were a couple of other, um, Amy Acker and, uh, oh my gosh, I should have come with the names, I forgot. You know, there's some working actors that people mm -hmm. know about. That people are going to look up the movie yeah, Cerrone yeah, anyways, yeah, they'll say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and they had, when I went to LA to shoot, they had these great trailers, right? Where you get to, you know, the trailer, right? Sure. And I didn't have my trailer. I don't know, but I've heard about it. I didn't, I didn't have a trailer or maybe I was sharing a trailer with somebody and, and here I am, I'm the, you know, I'm supposed to be the star of the show and I don't even have the trailer. Number one on the call sheet. Number one on the call sheet. And I remember being upset about that. And then I had to catch myself and I go, whole, whoa, what, what's happening here? You know what I mean? Like it was that kind of thing where um, I forgot. I mean, I didn't drink and I was definitely, I mean, you know, I was. How was that like? Because. But I, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't comfortable for me. I don't know. I don't know if I wasn't ready or if I just didn't, it just wasn't comfortable for me. I didn't like that. We spend, I, I spent so much time anesthetizing myself that uh -huh. all of a sudden, you know, anesthetizing, if you're not that smart like me, it means just getting drunk or whatever <laughs> and, 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 and squashing your feelings that when, you know, major stuff would happen, you know, nothing to that degree, but all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, what do I do with these feelings? Yeah, exactly. And so that's when it's even more important to talk to other people and let people know how you're feeling. Did you have any of that in your life at the time? I was, I, I, of course, we all isolate, and that's that's my mo. Is I, I if I get uncomfortable, I isolate and I try to figure it. And you know what I've learned in this process is that's not the right direction. I need to go more uh, and share and and be a part of with someone else. So yeah, I try. I made efforts, but I, dude, I was not. I mean, I'm just being honest here. I when that experience was over, I was sort of glad that it was over, and I was glad to get back to get connected being connected with people, with the people that I love in my town, which is Waco. And um, I don't know, I guess in some sense it was like, I, I, I think I want this. Uh, maybe I should go audition for other movies or do, you know, try to stay, move to LA and maybe get involved with music and movies. That I, I had all these um, sort of flickers of, of ambition. And then ultimately I think I just, it was not something I wanted to pursue, which was also a great awareness. I mean, to answer your question, yeah, I, I needed, I talked, I called a sponsor, I called my, um, what turned out to, I called my father-in-law and uh, had a very real conversations about what was going on and he helped set me straight and he helped me get a perspective that I needed to have. And that's how you get through stuff like and that. that's how you get through Without stuff. getting drunk, because the bottom line is not every day for me is uh, unicorns and uh, rainbows, as they say. That's right. But you're going to have rough days, but you got to talk to people. When you get to the point when you're saying, nobody understands me. <laughs> you're you in know, trouble. You're in trouble. That's right. You go talk to someone. Go understand somebody else. Dude, I mean, when I moved here, you know, I remember I, I didn't have a, anybody kind of showing me the way in this whole deal. And uh, I didn't have anybody's phone number. Mm -hmm. And you were the first person I called. Because I'd seen you speak at a meeting. You know, they talk about in, in, in the program and getting sober, it's uh, attraction, uh, a promotion by attraction. Right. Dude, you were, you were a guy that had something going on. 
How do you maintain that today, I guess? You're, you're, for lack of a better term, for people that are just listening to this the first time, um, your spiritual condition, how do you keep that positivity coming off you? I mean, you know, I used to think it's like, I got to do my part, right? I got to go um, turn in X many hours and read and read all this scripture and do all this stuff before I'm acceptable to God or higher power. And I used to feel like I had to jump through some hoops, clean up my life a little bit before I could approach the throne kind of deal. None of that is there anymore. Like I feel, um, so here's the thing, like last week, I have three boys, um, teenagers, and, and my parents now live in town. My dad and I bought this old junky house to, to work on and fix what we do. Like I, I'll buy a house and I'll go work on it and fix it up and spend a year on it. It's just, it's more of an art project than it is a, you know, way to make a living. But my dad and I are working on, and then my son, he's off, he's off because of COVID. So he comes over and it's my son and me and my dad. And we're all in this house, like demoing walls. And, uh, it's just, it's the most, I just, in the moment I look over to the right, look over to the left and I feel such a fullness and such a sense of gratitude. And it has nothing to do with me being rich or me being important, or any of that. And so... Uh, it comes from within. I mean... It's, it's the same... So that would inspire me to say, God, I am so grateful, you know? I mean, like, I'll go for a walk just by myself and just be... Just can't believe I got a body that works. And, you know, I mean, it's just a way, a different way of looking at life. I'm... So... And we're, we're coming up on the end here. A couple more things I want to hit. Like, you mentioned... Your your father in law was this guy who was so comfortable <laughs> in his own skin, yeah. who at the time you hated yeah. because you're uncomfortable in your own skin, and wow. now you're telling me you're that guy wow. that's comfortable in his own skin. I remember you and I were sitting down having lunch, and this is a window into the type of guy you were. You said I just bought this house, we're going to demo it, and I'm just thinking about this project, and I don't know if it's the one you were just talking about, but I'm just thinking about oh my god, work. <laughs> and I said, how long is it going to take you? And you go, who gives a shit? <laughs> and I remember thinking like that's kind of the place that I want to be in. You know, like, and that is, yeah. that to me is, is present, enjoying what's going on around you. One of the things that's been going on around you recently, just being, uh, you know, part of your life and on the fringe and being able to be in it once in a while, um, you're now making, you're making music again. Yeah. And, and that is, I think that's also, that's a big part of your journey. Uh, and I think that's a kind of a window into being sober, right? Like just the journey. And, and how, how did you end up making music again? COVID, boredom. Um, so music to me has always been, um, it's like setting traps. It's like, it, we, we've been watching the, have you seen that TV show called Alone where it's like. I haven't, but I heard it's good. Right, anyway, they yeah. send people out in the wilderness with cameras and, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with this show. But I said, you know, so over, like I literally look at it like this, like I set traps and then I go up and I see if there's anything in the traps. And if there is, I'll, I'll sort of pursue it. And that's how music is. And so during COVID, I just never check. I mean, before I don't, sometimes I'm just, I go years without even being interested in checking the traps. And then, um, and then just recently I did. And, and I, and it was just one of those things that the more I did it, the more it just sort of snowballs. And now I'm, I'm just fully back into loving uh, making music again. It's subjective. You're making good music, dude. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah. I, from what I've heard. And there's a reason why. Look, I'm not going to get all into it, but people, where, where can people find your music? 
I, you know, I just Google West Cunningham. It should come up. Um, but Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I just, we made, so, I made something that's on streaming on all the different. Oh, just all the different. You can stream it. Yeah. yeah just, huh? the, the latest one's called Vainglory. And, uh, vain glory. Yeah. Vain. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just vain want glory. people to, yeah, I want people to know, you know what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Because honestly, the, uh, a lot of, it just happens this way, but a lot of the songs have to do with me sort of dealing with, um, uh, the old guy, the old guy that was into vain glory, the old guy that was into, um, wanting pe- everyone to love him and wanting, uh, respect and all this. And, and what it's like now kind of thing. So the juxtaposition of of that is kind of the theme of the record. But yeah. Well, from from, from the old guy, to the, old guy. to the new guy, I yeah. thank you so much for spending time with us. Do we have, by the way, do we have permission to use your music on the way out of Absolutely. here? Absolutely. Yeah. Pick a good one. All right. Wes Cunningham, take it away. Hey, Wes. You know what? Wait, I want to say, I'm, I wanted to talk about you, Pete. I, how come we didn't get to talk about you? It's all Cause it won't very be one-sided. Good. I wanted to... <laughs> That's one thing my brother asked me. How are you going to do this? We were talking about the podcast. This, of course, being the first episode, I said I'm just going to stay out of the way. It's not about me. I don't want it to be me talking into a microphone. It's about you and your journey. Well, plenty of time. You know, I think about myself all day. Well, well, you know, I hear you. But let me say, can I say one more thing? Is that yeah, I feel sure. you know part of the reason why I don't like talking about uh, all that stuff. I, I just, I mean, I want it to be. I, I want someone who's tuning in to uh, to relate, like you said, and I want to be in somehow helpful to someone to say that, you know, you're not alone and that there's, you know, you're not a freak. You're not a weirdo. And, uh, and there's so much life. I'd love the name of your podcast. The payoff, the payoff is real The payoff. There's so much life on the other side of this deal. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I couldn't be more grateful for sobriety. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade a thing. I wouldn't trade a thing. So thank you for letting me talk about it. Wes Cunningham, thank you for coming, man.
Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.